I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Guitar Nerds is sponsored by Music Nomad, our favorite guitar maintenance tool manufacturing masters. You should check them out on MusicNomadCare.com or on social media with at MusicNomadCare. Hello and welcome to the Guitar Nerds Podcast, the world's number one guitar podcast. I am your host, Joe Branton, joined this week by Matt Knight. Hello there. And Naomi McLeod. Hello. Hello, hello indeed. Welcome back, dear listener, the seventh episode now in season three. Hello to Jordan Galash, who uh, joined us on the Patreon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Jordan. I don't mean right now. He's not here with us. I just mean like, you know. Surprise guest, a man we've never met. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Joe, you could have said. <laughs> Poor Jordan. I, I imagine Poor him Jordan sort of listening in, in his car and all of a sudden being like, oh God, am I on? <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, you are not. You are not. It is just just us three. I can't, yeah, I, I'm still in shock. Just before we went on air, we were talking about the fact that, uh, the, that wanking in America... <laughs> <laughs> is is a term for guitar soloing? Is, is this not going to get struck off? The, no, yeah, the clean oh, no, no, sheet. No, 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 twenty seconds in. Yeah, I can I can just put an e. But but here is the thing: Do I have to put that it's explicit if wanking in America just means like guitar soloing? I who defines what a swear word is? Is it American definition? I don't know because our podcast provider is Swedish. So I don't know where they sit on this whole thing. Who knows? This, the Swedish. This a... I haven't ever heard the Sw- a Swedish person swear. Well, I've I've got some Swedish, Swedish friends, and they said that, uh, that a lot of them like le- the backbone of their learning English comes from watching French Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So I, I would imagine <laughs> that's so insanely specific. <laughs> that's so specific. My God. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well. Yeah. So I don't know. So I think it maybe maybe it's it's on the American side. In which case. This is still a clean podcast, so it's blown my mind clean off as a as an Irish slash British Isles native that that, um, that 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 that's just a clean practical sort of I, you know ca- casual slang for shredding. Yeah, I uh, I've I'm amazed when I listen to other podcasts that how much they do swear in like explicit p- podcasts. Mm. You know, we're 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 a clean bunch of you know lads and lasses. You know, this is a clean podcast, and you I have, like it that way. You have, yeah. Matt, you have no idea as an Irish person how much 
restraint, <laughs> How much restraint it takes is. in me every single episode. It's, um, it, it's good because when we've had like, uh, you know, Thorpey and and Mikey, from- Mike, Mikey's the worst. Oh, Mike, Mikey's yeah, Mister Effin and Jeffin. You oh, get, are they are they funding the swear jar pretty hard? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, pr- pretty. Yeah. And and I think they're the only episodes that we've had to have like explicit warnings oh, on because yeah. it's basically oh, just wow. been one okay. one beep. Um, <laughs> yeah, like occasionally in the past, I've beeped out sort of individual swears if someone accidentally drops an f bomb or something. I'll I'll, mm. I'll find it and beep it out. Uh, or maybe cut it out or something, but uh, but you know, there's just no point. There's no point when Mikey's on. It would just take it would take as long <laughs> just, as the podcast. Yeah, just to edit them in. You can't yeah. be that quick. You can't predict it. You know, in real time. So exactly. uh, yeah. when when you say it about other podcasts, Matt, though, I do think like there's there's a finesse to swearing. You know, I think if absolutely you, if, if you save it for moments of more impassioned speech, I think it can be really effective. And it can, I don't know, even even I, a passionate swearist, uh, numb out to it sometimes if I'm listening to reams and reams of it. Well, I, th- I think most people from this part of the world do just numb out to general swearing because of the amount that comes out of uh, our mouths most yeah. of the time. Um, what about what about more traditional British swearing? Uh, you know, <laughs> what, what about that? So like the, you know, what about the bloodies and the buggers and sod? And, and the twats. Yes. What about those things? All the, gr- all of, the great words. They're exclusive to sort of, you know, this, this area, uh, this, this part of the world. I, I don't know. I think we'd get away with that if if we're talking about the um, the American swearing being the industry standard. Yeah, for it was what just gets an explicit. Was just gonna say. I feel like now that you've said them all, they're they're somewhat mild in comparison. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Maybe is- we can maybe we can ease ourselves into being an explicit podcast. And yeah, uh, just a few so, a few light British swear words first. Yeah, pop a little pop a little quota on our um on our agenda for each episode maybe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's, Matt's that's only good. had six bloodies this episode. Come on, guys. Uh, yeah, step yeah. up. Step You've it had up. a sod and a tit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It's um. It, yeah. On a on a on a similar tangent, I I did see a, a video. Oh God, a few months now, where this person's like they study they studied English language. How far you can go back in time where you'd still be able to be understood speaking the English that we speak now. Right. And it's not oh, wow. that it's not that far. Like really? you get to like 500 years and it sounds pretty pretty damn confusing. Mm. You're listening to I mean, it going, mate, you can just go to Newcastle now. Yeah. <laughs> or Glasgow. Or Glasgow. Yeah, very true. Very true. But it, it just sort of, you know, bringing it back around to music made me realize how Imagine going back and listening to what people were creating. We had this conversation last weekend, Joe, briefly at the uh, at my stag do slash birthday when well, Blacks- I do not remember. No, uh, where um, <laughs> I think well, it was me and Jade. You were sat next to me, and we were both feeling terrible. But when Black Sabbath came on, and we were like, oh. imagine hearing that for the first time in 1970, oh. and going, nothing sounds like this. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this, and I, I can't remember the last time I listened to something and went, nothing sounds like this. Yeah, it was well. It's just yeah, music's so not true. a not, not a popular music is because it's such a specific format already that we have. You know, like verse, bridge, chorus has got to be around four minutes. You know, we're going to loop this bit. Like it's it's everything's kind of 
a modified version of pop or the original idea of pop anyway there it's not like it's not gonna we can't keep it going it's the repetition is inevitable and we're past the point now where things are things are being created quite as a i mean there's still that's just on guitar music i appreciate that outside of that there's you know so much stuff that's new and exciting but yes like just imagine hearing black sabbath for the for the first time and unbelievable that 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 record is pretty much recorded live except for one guitar solo overdub and of course the bells on the opening track Mm. they did it in eight hours in a studio in a basement in birmingham like it's just just mad isn't it it's just to think that not many people record music that way anymore i know a lot more people record from home and there's a lot more records out there where people have recorded the majority of it at home rather than in big studios and big productions but to just kind of go we've got eight hours let's just do it do you know what i mean it's like it's it's amazing really was was it was it you or jay in that conversation that was saying that they didn't like led zeppelin or didn't get led zeppelin but liked black that Sabbath. was me oh what is i don't understand how can you like one without the other it doesn't it doesn't make any sense yeah i guess millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I don't hate Led Zeppelin. Let's put it out there. I mean, they are very different bands, but they know, are very still, different bands. Clo- clo- you know, one's very blues inspired, but but they're still. I I, I feel like a, a similar brush. Well, I'd say it's interesting because I actually put on the second Black Sabbath record um, when, when I'm working from home. I usually put a record on in, in the other room, Paranormal. and I was listening to it, and I was like, "There's a lot of blues influence." in that those first two records the the second one actually probably more than the first one in some ways it's got some real kind of like rock and rolly sort of that sort of rhythm to it i guess but yeah i mean i like dare dare i say it's that classic alan partridge thing it's like what's your favorite beatles album i'd have to say the best of the beatles (laughs) (laughs) i kind of feel the same with led zeppelin it's like what's your favorite led zeppelin record i have to say the best of Led Zeppelin. Because, yeah, I like that, you know, 
all the hits. You like the gist of it, but the, I like the gist of Led Zeppelin, but you know the thing about Led Zeppelin is they they are they're this weird band that get called like a rock band, but they were a prog band. They were just slightly before prog happened, like. You know they they they're rocking out some proper sort of twelve fifteen minute long tracks and oh, yeah. they're not afraid to sort of dip into sort of real weird almost ambient sections and bring things out and call and response between vocal and guitar and stuff like that. That's not rock. That's not a rock trope. That's that's a prog trope. Um, so I, I feel that that if you think of them like a rock band, then there are going to be these you know these sections on albums that are just a bit long and dreary but if you think about them as like a concept e prog band then all that stuff is quite acceptable and i think it, you know yeah. you can really get into it if you think of them in in that way i guess it's um it's just one of those things isn't it you just some bands you really love and some bands you just sort of deal with yes, yes <laughs> i guess is the way you would put it yes um, yes exactly but uh, I, I did I, I did have to laugh the other day at an interview. Obviously, as we all know, the world's greatest band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, are releasing a new album uh, on April the 1st. It's not a joke. It's real. Serious. And, um, and I was reading this interview where I think it was NME did like an exclusive interview. And I think they were interviewing Flea and he was laughing because... They were talking about the last time the enemy did like an exclusive with them, which was like in the nineties. On the front cover of this enemy, it was like the Rolling Stones. Is it time for them to get into their wheelchairs and like leave? <laughs> and they were like in their fifties at that point. And he was like, "The Red Hot Chili Peppers are basically all in their sixties now." It's just like find it quite funny. It's like twenty five years ago. They're like, "Yeah, we're young, you know, we're still rocking out." And then it's like. You know, Rolling Stones, they're well old. And that's like, yeah, we're in our 60s now and the Rolling Stones are like almost in their 80s. And still rocking out. <laughs> and still rocking out. It's, uh, yeah. It's, I think it's good in some ways. You, you know, I think it's amazing that bands, you can, they, they sort of just transcend age in some <laughs> ways, don't they? <laughs> you just don't ever think of them as like old people playing in a band what what the red hot chili peppers i, I think of those them as being pretty old people playing in a band still well uh, but, i don't know yeah i never consider i never it's like i, I don't Stones, hold them I in the same regard as you i think maybe but the oh come Stones. on greatest band ever <laughs> californication <laughs> under the bridge don't just listen to the hits joe you gotta dive in <laughs> <laughs> yes yes of course well you know john for he made some great records with Omar Rodriguez Lopez, and of course appears as as a guest guitarist on an awful lot of the Bedlam in Goliath, which is, in my Didn't, opinion, he the also best plays a solo on the on um, the first record, doesn't he? Um, does he? Does he? Does he? I'm not sure. Maybe. Maybe they were, you know, doing a lot of a lot of things around then. Mm. Anyway, anyway, let's uh, let's let's uh, talk about some some guitars a little bit more specifically. Um, oh, what are we gonna what are we gonna do about talking about my my beloved Gibson ES one seven five? We saving that for the Patreon completely? I think you should. Uh, I think you should talk about the heartbreak, Joe. Oh, okay, okay. All right, we've all been there. Yeah, let it out. Has, has, has it gone? Or is it it's still gone. With you? It's it is gone. gone. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So yes. Yeah, so I did. Uh, so dear listener, if you if you didn't you sort of hear me talking about it or see it on the group, I did. Uh, you know, with the help of Mark Packham, I listed an awful lot of uh, of my guitars, uh, effects pedals, basses, amplifiers for sale on Reverb to try and save money to get a deposit for a flat with my partner Emma and my cat 
Ava, obviously she's included in this. But um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I've been sending through things. And one of the things I decided to sell was my Gibson ES175D. New old stock, Memphis made, the most incredible flame you'll ever see. Gorgeous light tarnishing um, on the body and on the... On the, on the pickups as well. It, it was it was just an incredible guitar. And of course, we've spoken about that over the years. In fact, Mark Packham, even when Mark, Mark Packham was talking about the gear of the other, the, the other, and as Jay, Matt and me, but at the time, he said that the, the Gibson ES 175D that I had was the best guitar that any of us had. Um, it was a very lovely guitar, and it is the guitar I said I'd never sell. But, you know, I got that Grez recently, and... It's incredible. Oh, that and me- also... That's the Mendocino, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, oh, so which I'm so now good. keeping for all of time. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's well, yeah, I, I have it now. I own that one. So it's, uh, um, you know, that, that, that Grez was more suited to me now than the ES175D was anyway. And also the ES175D is a £4,000 guitar. So it's a good chunk of my half of the deposit. So uh, I, I listed You've done it. your deed. You've done your part. Yeah. <laughs> Come yeah, on, Emma. Exactly. Where, where's all the? Where's all your money? Yeah. But this uh, this this lovely man, Taras. Um. He uh, uh. He made me an offer. Uh. And he he came down on the train. Came down, played it, and uh, and purchased it on Sunday. It was it was heartbreaking, but uh, it was it was fine. It, uh, I'm confident that it was going to a nice, uh, a, you know, a good home, a place where it's going to be played. It's not just really going to sit in a in a hard case in in a cupboard so that is all good but oh tra- tragic to lose it i tell i tell you what like uh um i, I actually told Terrace about this podcast so he might well listen to this uh, and uh, i mean this entirely positively jazz guitarists are well a different breed from from, uh, from sort of uh, from from me like uh you know he, he'd be he'd be checking it out and I, I totally i totally get this i agree with what you're saying but he's like oh um there's a you can see there's a, a little bit of tooling here on on this fret. Where do you, is that something that's happened in the factory? And I'm like, what? Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry, ma- sorry, mate. I only play prog on this. Like, I don't really <laughs> like, care about anything else. I have no idea. Like, you know, I, I sort of. I mean, most of the time, I'm not even fully in tune. It's like the whole close enough for rock and roll thing. Intonations for other people, you know. It's yeah. It's, it, that, that's how I've addressed guitar. But it's terrible when you get someone who wants that extreme precision because I'm like. Not only do I not know how to achieve this for you in a setup before you play this guitar, but you know, I I just I have no idea what to look out for uh, on these things. It's it's just a a lack of knowledge on my part, really. But uh, you know, fortunately, I had given the guitar to our good friend um, Graham Wheeler um, uh, before to to set it up and get it all sorted out for him. But yeah, it is gone. We've also, all done it, Joe. We've all done it. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I don't feel like this is going to be one that I'm going to regret selling, though. You know, a lot of people have said I would, but I kind of, I hadn't been playing it, not really, for a couple of years. And also, the the only time I did try and gig it, I couldn't because they feed back all the time. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not too fussed. It was a fantastic guitar, but I have other guitars that I feel are more suited. You know, so. Yeah, I think uh I think maybe in the uh in the Patreon Joe, maybe we could uh we could take that four and a half thousand pounds and virtually spend it. You know, if you had the money now, hmm. what would you buy? That's a that's a good thing. That's a good idea. Let's do that in the old uh, in the old Patreon exclusive. 
Um, but uh, but yes, yeah, so you know. We'll carry on. We'll talk about some other things now. We'll come back to that on the Patreon. Matt Knight, I also sent you, finally, that Shell Pink Squire Classic Vibe Base 6. How are you finding it? Honestly, it's a solid 10 out of 10. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh. i tell you what. That I Because we bought... I remember if you bought one at the same time, but I bought the basically the first one, I think, came into GAC when we worked there. The Vintage Mod. You bought it in black and I bought it in Sunburst. And... I never got on with it. I just didn't just didn't gel with it. I was like, I didn't know what to play on it. I was kind of just it sort of was cool and it was like, yeah, this is this is a cool thing to have and I've played the Twin Peaks theme for about an hour now. That's you know, that's you know, I'm sort of there. And um and obviously then I sold it sort of relative. I upgraded the bridge because it came with that crappy um sort of Vintage correct, I guess, but the ones that sort of like screws, so the strings jump around all over the place and sort of never intonated very well. So I was like, oh, at least this one will be pink, you know, so I can just at least hang it on the wall and, you know, jam a couple of notes on it. And I played it all weekend, like basically all weekend. I think I got it on Friday. I played it, basically had it next to me, plugged into an amp, and I was just like, it plays really well. Um, it sounds amazing. You know, when you pick up a guitar and just ideas just flow out of it. Uh, and I was just like, this is it. I was, I was like, I don't know what they've done, but it just feels and sounds way better yeah. than, than the old ones. I, it's I, I completely a really agree. solid guitar. Really yeah, solid. I, I, I could, like I said, when I A-B'd it with the Vint Mod, I did think the pickups were more articulate and, you know, just... Uh, Everything was a bit tighter, a bit nicer. Um, and, you know, it, I think it does help that it's shell pink with a matching headstock because it looks absolutely stonking. Yes. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it and Candy Apple Red are just perfect finishes for, for the matching headstock, I think. Yeah, yeah, I totally yeah. agree. I was, I was going to cheekily say, Matt, well, of course the intonation's better if it's shell pink. <laughs> we, come, come on. Come on. It we just, we you all know, know this. Yeah, an instant attraction to it, should I say. But, um, I thought what was, what was cool is it, like, it really worked just, you know, like, you know, plonking out a few bass notes. But, it, you know, in terms of chords and stuff and down the, the low end where it's, like, super low, um, you know, it's like you can still really hear everything, like, really clearly. You know, all the notes ring out. I think the only thing is maybe the low E string just buzzes a little bit. Um, yeah. But, you know. They are those factory strings you've got on there. And I think Fender ship out with, like, a sub 90 on the low E, which is just mad. Like right. honest, honestly, Fender just send it with with a no string on the low end rather than sending it out with an eighty because you, you're just wasting everyone's time. But it, the uh, you know if you pop a hundred on there, Matt, it, it will be fine. Now well, maybe I'll do that. But yeah, I I just I've been incredibly impressed, um, and I think I don't know. Yeah, I think it just adds a different element to your sort of guitar collection in some ways like what was cool i was messing around yesterday doing some sort of like looping stuff and i was like oh this is really great for like you know just laying down bass notes you know really good but then also being able to like play some sort of nice i know it sounds ridiculous i know jay jay uh joked about it before it's like yeah put a cap on the 12th fret but it's like if you play chords like that high up obviously it's close to 
you know, the same octave that a guitar sits in, but you you definitely have like more bottom end and like a richness to the notes that you're just like, oh, just they just sound amazing. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a different timbre from it as an instrument, which I yeah. absolutely love. I mean, I even find like bass notes just on the A string of a bass six sound absolutely beautiful in a way that bass doesn't. And it's not a, a you know, better, worse kind of thing. I just love the different qualities it can mm. it can offer. Yeah, well, absolutely. It, it's just such a versatile instrument. Just the fact that because you're because you've got those higher strings and because you can go up the fretboard, you can still get that sort of guitar tone. Because of the way the pickup selectors work, where you can turn each of the three pickups on and off, and there's a bass cut on there. You know, you you put on the bridge pickup, you put on the the bass cut, and you you know you you play in the upper register of the, the guitar and you've got a great sounding sort of, you know baritone guitar instrument but totally capable of lead work and then you know as naomi says like if if you if you use all three pickups or maybe just the the neck and middle the low the around that the a string especially because the e is is a little bit weird flabby yeah it's a bit <laughs> flabby but the a string especially you just get some really nice um well-rounded uh mm-hmm. sort of i don't know like that sort of punky p bass-esque tone from it like it like picked it's just really good that it's it's mm. very versatile and you can you know, do a lot with it if you mess around with it yeah the um i i was i have it set um just neck and middle but i found that was the best combination with the right. bass cut yeah. off um it is bass cut isn't it it's like you said bass cut yeah yeah um yeah, with the bass cut off. And then to top it all off, and, you know, this is, to me, I was like, I could start a band right now if I just played this. All weekend, bass six, straight in, no pedals, into a Roland JC40 with a little bit of reverb. That was going to be my next and a question. Whole, and a whole lot of chorus. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my question. What, do you, what did you do with it? What was your setup? So it you- was literally that. Wow. And I was like, I don't need anything. I don't need delay pedals. I don't need anything. Just give me that JC40. And it just sounded so good. It had this kind of cure type thing, this kind of like 80s vibe. But then you could also, because it was so low, I thought that some of the, you know, if you just play a couple of like open A and then move around on the D string a bit, you've almost got this sort of um, like Dinosaur Junior kind of vibe in terms of like, you could get this like grungy sort of punky sort of like feeling out of it without actually just dis- having any distortion. That's a and very secure thing to do. An yeah, open and I was and just moving like, around on the D. I was like, this just sounds great. It just sounds, it just sounds really good. And I just played that and I was like, that's, that is the only sound I need. <laughs> Don't even need to turn the chorus off. Um, so I've sort of, I had a bit of a play around with that, but I was listening to the most recent, uh bad bad not good album um and amazing band amazing band of like i think it's four like jazz musicians they and their, their bass player plays like a like gibson short scales right yeah but on the latest record i'm sure he's playing at one point he's playing this like really fuzzy solo and i'm like i'm right. sure that's a bass six just because of unless he's playing a six string bass but the notes he plays, I'm like, it sounds more like a bass six because it sounds like he's playing it more like a guitar, if that sort of makes sense. Um, and 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 that was, you know, really cool. It's like obviously some sort of vintage far, style fuzz or something like that. And I thought, oh, that sounds really cool. And uh, I meant to try that and then just got lost in plugging it into the JC40 for the entire weekend. 
<laughs> effectively. Wow. Um, a great combination and just made me fall in love with the JC40 all over again. Um, just in terms of great clean amp, it's just got a real good vibe to it. Works really well with that bass six. Yeah. Really well with the basics. Yeah, I bet. I, I guess it's the perfect amp for that sort of thing because you want something that's a bit more uh, full range sounding. I guess mm. you know, the the basics is almost going to be a little bit limited running into a uh, a guitar uh, a guitar amp. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, always, I, think, I always run it into a just into a bass amp. Uh, when yeah, I'm playing I, th- it. I don't know whether it's the stereo speakers and the chorus just giving it a bit of extra oomph and a bit of extra width maybe yeah um because yeah when i plugged it into like my morgan or something which is more like a fender princeton it felt very much like plugging a bass into a guitar ramp yeah hello and welcome back to one hot minute the new segment where each week i take a minute of your podcast listening time to demo a piece of gear that i'm excited about now over the last few weeks we've been talking about the kma chief disruptor which is kma's brand new swiss army knife big muff style fuzz i really like this fuzz it's got a lot going on they've managed to cram in loads of controls without making it confusing or overly complicated it's very versatile as i've been talking about over the last few weeks you can kind of do everything from almost edge of breakup drive i mean not quite but you know what i mean like you can get some real dynamics out of this fuzz it's as much a drive as it is a fuzz but you can also push it to the extremes and get very very fuzzy loads of low end on tap if you want it but you can dial that back as well thanks to the three modes the sort of all out mode their traditional mode and the tight mode of fuzz is very very lovely this week i'm coupling it i'm coupling it with some other effects so this week i'm going to run the chief disruptor into a tremolo and pop a little bit of actually a little bit shimmer reverb on the end of the chain and just use it to do a little lead line over the top of some picked chords just to show you kind of how synthy it can sound when coupled with a couple of other things that's the thing i found most that i almost love most about the kma chief disruptor is how well it blends with other effects especially if you're wanting to make anything soundscapey, anything just big and synthy, something that's taking up a lot of space on your track. It can be big, it can be huge, but it can also be dynamic and it can also let your clean tone shine through when you want to. That's not what I've done with it this week. Let's take a little listen to the sample, where, as I say, I'm using it as more a tremolo synth line over the top. maybe yeah i i just it just feels like you've detuned a normal guitar which i guess in some ways you kind of have but yeah you lose some of that sort of harmonic content that's so rich especially when you're when i was plugging into the jc you know and you've got this kind of much bigger like bolder sound um so um yeah maybe i'll have to 
buy a bass amp. That's a good excuse and excuse to buy a bass amp, maybe. There you go. I can do your deal. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Mark uh, bass yeah. all the way, mate. That's <laughs> nice. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. oh, shots have been fired. Yeah, no, that's fine. You can play Mark bass. But yeah, it'd definitely be interesting to um, to run it like in stereo, but maybe have you know a guitar amp one side and a bass amp the other. Yeah. Don't know if definitely. either of you have ever done that, but feels like something that might be quite cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think I've heard it done. I've not done it myself. But, yeah, same. Um, yeah, I've. I mean, I've heard amazing results from from it. But that's that's usually been guitar with a ton of effects running through a bass amp for extra low end, as opposed to a bass six running through both. Yeah, for the best tonal benefits. But um, uh, yeah, in a summary, I would say like one hundred percent gigable, totally playable, sounds amazing. You know, zero complaints. Apart from maybe, that's well, fantastic. the only thing is that low is that low E occasionally just rattles out a bit. But like you say, Joe, maybe that's just fixed with a, a thicker string or a, a, a quarter turn of the uh, of the saddle, maybe. Yeah, it's tricky. Like uh, if if you played my basics, which I think of as being set up so you can actually play it. You know, you could drive a bus underneath the the gap between the strings yeah. and the board, which is how I have to have it set up in order to be able to. Uh, to be fair, I'm trying to play it in a weird way. I've got it down a full tone in D standard, and I I like I like digging in. I like hitting. I like playing quite hard, so I need that clearance in order to just it not be like, you know, without any actual mm. notes. But there are difficult to set up and i think a lot of people set them up wrong i mean you could say mine is set up wrong but a lot of people try and set them up like you would a normal instrument and go ah it's fretting out all over the place that they're just it is you know imagine taking a normal guitar and with you know nines or tens on it and then trying to tune it into c standard yeah you it's gonna fret out all over the place, and that's the kind that's the tension that you've got on a bass six. It's like that, so it's it's tricky, you know, because mm. you can't make the strings too thick. Like you know, I was um I was up at Ashdown this week, and they've got like a one of the Music Man John Mayung uh, uh, six string bongo basses because they do a, a John Myung. Uh, drive pedal sort of thing so music man had sent them the the bass and it's a six string bass on a five string neck spacing there is virtually no gap between the low b and the e like almost nothing you know it's it's, it makes it very difficult to play and that's you go that way with the basics if you go for anything over like a 105 i mean 105 (laughs) would probably be pushing it considering it comes you know with 80s and like you know a hundred would be something you probably couldn't buy in a set. Like you'd have to have someone that would make be a that custom up. Set, sure. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but hmm. very cool, very cool. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you, uh, you 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 know got on with it. It kind of uh, this this over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking I need a Dan Electro back in my life because I haven't had one for a long time. I haven't kind of, you know, not working in a guitar shop. I'm not seeing them anymore. I, you know, Mark Packham just stays indoors all the time, so I can't play his his demo. <laughs> and also that, you know, the the fact that that um, 
I had so much fun with that base six and it, it sucked having to send it to you. I realize I have my own base six as well, but yeah, it's cool. It was a pink one. It got me thinking, you know, about Dan Electros. And I started, uh, I, 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 I was looking up to see if it was possible to get one of the original U, uh, Dan Electro U models, the U1 or the U2, which were Dan Electro's base sixes. Um, which I'm not sure. I think they maybe pipped Fender to the punch on this, uh, the basics, because it was still it was super early doors for that. Like I, I think they I think they did because it was 1958. Um, Dan Electro released the the UB uh, two, which is their single cut body shape. I can't remember what they call that. 56 maybe something like that. Uh, but it's their their. Single cut body shape, but with a 30 inch scale neck, and it was designed to be a base six. And of course, this is because in 1958, the bass wasn't really a hundred percent established as an instrument. You know, the, the I mm-hmm. mean, it, it was it was still it was still there was still uncertainty around it in the market. It wasn't selling incredibly well. Well, most bands were still sort of double bass led, and so giving people a hybrid six string bass potentially gave them the ability to appeal to both camps of players who might, you know, uh, players who were needing to switch between the two, or you know, it just wasn't defined as a concept. Um, I actually I've got a quote somewhere. Um, yeah, okay, here we are. So the original 1958 catalogue um, described the UB2 as a brand new instrument that combines the best qualities of Spanish guitar and big string bass. Um, it's a, a six string guitar. Okay, no, that's what. Yeah, so they went for like a full 24 frets um, on the on the original UB2. It was it was great. It was they were trying to create something new and different and exciting, um, and they did. Dan Electro did actually stick with that um they 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 in 1959 they introduced it on the on the long horn and also on the short horn so those were the the models they released later you know the mm-hmm. weird onion shaped one and of course the 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 short horn bass which was a smaller body and if you ever see the the short horn uh 36 12 is that how the americans say it 36 12 instead 3612 we'd say but uh, the the if you see the short horn the 1964 short horn it was very close to them not fitting the bridge on the body to to get it to be a 30 inch scale base six it's it's you're using the entire body to get the, that string length on there but they were just so cool and interesting and different and considering that they really did put some weight behind this because at that time it wasn't so clear you know the base the idea of a base six was kind of probably john lennon was you know playing playing one in the beatles only you know 10 years after this it was admittedly the fender basics considering how much effort dan electro put into it you can't find these anywhere which is uh the real the real shame but that's what i might keep an eye out for Guitar Nerds are teaming up with Music Nomad and I I really think, nerds, you need to check out musicnomadcare.com. We've spoken about all their wonderful guitar maintenance products on the podcast and and I really can't emphasise how important it is to look after your gear and how easy Music Nomad make that for you with things like their their how-to advice centre and their setup hub. Music Nomad have been around for a little over 10 years and in that time they've become one of the most recognised brands for guitar tech gear. 
They're available worldwide in every guitar store you can think to name, and it's for a good reason. All their products are professional-grade quality. Every tool, and even the cases the tools come in, are designed for proper, rugged, on-the-road use. Make sure you check out what all the buzz is around Music Nomad, as they are redefining and raising the bar for equipment care. Learn more at musicnomadcare.com or follow them on social media with at musicnomadcare. Just um, a side question here, and uh, I'm sure Naomi or Joe might know the answer. What was the first commercially available electric bass? Was it the 51 it Fender was bass? The 51. It, it was, was the Fender. Because I was just thinking that just you mentioned the Beatles there, and, and obviously uh, Paul McCartney, famous for his you know, sort of violin bass. And I wondered what year that came out. Because again, that, that kind of design and feel feels very early. Mm. Yeah. 50s but i don't know it, it was later i don't know when the hofner violin bass was was first introduced i'm sure it's shortly after because obviously it was such a great idea but fender were the only people going after that 34 inch solid right. body thing sort of everyone right. else was because you've got to think a, a fender bass even with flats it don't sound anything like a double bass and that was what a bass was trying to emulate it was trying to mm. emulate a double bass so when hofter made a violin bass that did a better job mm. when mm-hmm. gibson made you know their eb uh eb one eb1 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 which would have been the first which was their solid body violin bass which had painted on f holes because they wanted it to look like it. and it had like a a, a german carving because they wanted it to look like a double bass like a small double bass in fact the the gibson eb1 even came with a telescopic stand in the bottom so that you could play it standing up if if you wanted to <laughs> so cool they, they appreciated that double bass players why would they want something that's strapped around them like a guitar they weren't guitarists they were bass players and that's how you play bass so you know, I, I think Fender almost—it's wild that the Fender bass took off as the main idea because it was not the way bassists were playing at all. Um, yeah, I, I was trying to—I was trying to find the answer to how many of that original design were made, and no one really knows. I've seen a couple of things here. People reckon maybe there was like twelve hundred bases between fifty-one and March of fifty-four. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I wonder who who. I guess it was just a combination of different things. But like, what kind of drove people to go? Yeah, the bass is a cool thing. Yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting. But come, coming back to what you said now about the A string sounding just so good on the bass six, and it just made me think. I was thinking about asking this on the pod: was the bass five? When did the bass five come out? Oh, think- good question. Was that? It was uh, the was base five sixty. Sorry, say that again. Was that before nineteen sixty? I don't think so. I think it was launched with the base six. I think this is what we're talking about now. Is the nineteen sixty to sixty two catalog like when Fender launched Jazzmaster, Jaguar, Jazz Bass, Base Six, and Base Five? I think uh, I think that's when it launched. But it was hugely unsuccessful. I have a book. Where's my book? Where's my book? I just, you know, to my shelf to see it. So I have the book about the bass five. I um, I I just kind of like the idea of, you know, saying that that low E string was, you know, a bit flabby. And like Mm -hmm. you were saying, um, Naomi, it's like it's just the A, the from the A string onwards has got this just amazing tonality. And I was like, imagine that just. 
just making a bass six but only five strings and obviously the bass five is quite a different thing but i, I kind of like the idea of them sort of bringing something like that back well, with, with the high c instead you mean no i'm just talking about five strings <laughs> i'm oh. just talking about literally <laughs> I, I hate i hate to break five. this i hate to break this to you but um i'm afraid there are five string bases on the market <laughs> are um, there like um, well in terms of like you know I'm talking. I'm talking. Basically, I want a base six without the low E string. Well, oh, oh right, yeah, you want a, you want a upwards. You uh, want a to E. I want, yeah. Well, I'll just yeah, a you, to E. You could just restring something. I mean, Ibanez brought out their uh, name. It. Do you remember this one? The BTB three three three. I think it was. Do you remember that? It was mm. thirty three inches scale, and it was a. Uh, it had a high C, uh, and like a, it had a ramp in between the two. Um, humbuckies as well. It was very cool. <laughs> oh, well, I, I do remember it. Yeah. What, for your little finger skateboard? Ramps are important to us, basis. Yeah. <laughs> ramps are good. You know, laugh, laugh, yeah, laugh now. Laugh now, Matt. I think um, Scott Devine from Scott's Space Lessons, his signature overwater is a five string with a high C. Is it? Oh. Interesting. All right, I found it. I found the the Fender Bass Five, and the first print ad for it is not going to date on that print ad. Uh, here we are, nineteen sixty five. Yeah, it was normal thirty four inch scale, but provided only fifteen frets with a high C. Um, and when did it get discontinued? Uh, well, this 19, isn't very helpful. This isn't a lot of information. Book nine, 19, <laughs> 1971, from what I can see. Really? Ah, no yeah. way did it last that long. I, it must have Six gone years. in the 60s. I don't believe the Fender Bass 5 ran into the 70s. 71? I mean, they probably stopped production in, like, 1969, yeah. and then they had, like, one left over, and then they were like, yeah. oh, technically it goes on to 1970. Yeah. Probably. Well, it was part of their uh, "You Won't Part with Yours" either um, ad campaign. Oh, which... that's got the classic guy on the surfboard, right? Is that yeah. the, uh, that campaign? Yeah, yeah. The, the one that the one that the base five is in is a guy driving what appears to be a tank, or maybe I some form of tractor. So it's so good. It's so bizarre. It's so ridiculous, and he's just got yeah, Fender Base Five next to him on his tank. It's um, it's sort of similar to that uh, McDonald's advert, the Super Bowl, where Kanye West turns up to McDonald's in a tank. <laughs> Don't know if you've seen that, but just you know, a tank is clearly you know still a powerful marketing tool today, as much as it was <laughs> in the nineteen fifties. <1950s. laughs> yes, clearly. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. No. Oh. Well, there we go. A little trip down memory lane. I want a Fender Base Five. I'm gonna. Maybe that'll be my next thing. Oh, I'll have a little look on Reverb now. Um, but uh, uh, movie, let's let's talk about some effects, effectsy things, Matt, because you've been messing around with your GT Core recently. Yeah, I think actually I, I was sort of partly inspired by you on this one, uh, uh, Joe. Apparently, um, when I was talking to my guys, they had set some patches up for you that were very similar to effectively run. Uh, like wet dry i guess i spent a bit more time just like playing some boss stuff and um i've got an sy200 and i was like what's the best way to run the sy200 with the gt1000 because effectively what i want is the bass sound the synth sounds 
but I only want the synth sounds to be affected by reverb and delay. So I can have some like, you know, I can do some like filter sweeps or something, mm-hmm. but not have those reverb or delay sounds affect the normal guitar signal. And then also be able to apply like maybe distortion to both, but only a phaser to the drop, you know, just ridiculous nerdy stuff that no one's really going to care about. But I did think that there was, you might want to run a guitar into that pedal and then split the signal out. And I was like, what's the best way to do it? But yeah, be able to still use the effects in the, the GT1000. And I was running everything in the effects loop, which meant that I could separate the two signals, but I still had to have an external reverb pedal. Where now I've worked out that you can split the signal sort of internally in the GT1000 and split the speaker outs to separate outputs and then just move like a reverb or a delay block to that that output only. Um, so now I'm running a I'm running a system where I go guitar into the SY200, and then I go out of the direct out, so dry output into the GT1000, and then out of the affected out into the effects loop return, which sort of sets itself up like a second like input. Right, and then you just split those two inputs into sep- into their own outputs, and then you can just drop whatever effects you want in the output section. So now I can have like this big, like ethereal synthy pad sound, but it only comes out of one output, and it only affects the synth sound. Very cool. Yeah, yeah it's. Um, I'm loving the sound of that. It's like wet, yeah. wet, dry. Yeah, wet, wet, wet. Um, <laughs> great band. Um, yeah, it's. I think because. What I found was I wanted to like hold a synth note because you can obviously you've got like a freeze function on the SY200 and have it run through a delay and a reverb. So it's got some synth sounds are very harsh, very harsh if you don't sort of like, you know, tame them with a bit of um, reverb and delay. But I wanted to like hold a note, but then I wanted to be able to play like, I don't know, a riff over the top of it, but with fuzz. But obviously, if you just run everything in series, you end up distorting. It's like putting a looper at the beginning of your chain. Yeah, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And this, and I've just been sort of messing around with loads of various ways to try and make that work. And now, effectively, I found a way to make it work because the GT one thousand sees the effects loop as its own block i guess effects block yeah so that's like it's own, around which you can move around and if you just move it to an output you can then have your own effects chain to that particular output and then you can still have another chain of effects including delays into another amplifier um and then i'm i'm sort of using an expression pedal to mix between the two Ooh, the two that's signals very nice oh that's a nice addition yeah so the synth sound the synth pedal is always on effectively mm-hmm. all i'm doing is just blending in that second input and uh yeah it works very very well and just been loving the the gt1000 for that that kind of that thing really just effects not you know obviously i know it does a lot in terms of amp modeling it's got some amazing amp modeling and stuff but i only ever wanted to use it as a a multi-effects device yeah and uh yeah i've been just loving it 
actually spending the time building presets and and getting to i think we spoke about this on the pod a few weeks ago but actually like using the tools i have at hand rather than like plugging in a different pedal every time i plug in and go oh it's fun sound for five minutes and then just like put it away back in its box yeah, like, yeah. actually actually build a pedal board. It a bit. yeah 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 actually That's- plugging something in and going how can i actually how can i actually learn and make this work yeah, that's that. That is kind of that's the thing with stuff like the GT and with Helix and you know every, everything else like that. The the only it's capable of so much, but you know as soon as you're on a compact thing like you know the HX Stomp like Naomi uses or the GT Core like me and Matt have, they are so compact. That means a lot of hopping around. That means a lot of button pressing, a lot of double tapping things to write things. Yes, and it's yeah. it's unless you spend the time. You're not going to get the most out of it, but they're they're just capable of so so much. They're such fantastic tools. Like that's what I ended up using the core for was the fact that it, it can do so much. I split my outputs as well, but I was doing I was sending one output to a base head with just a like a, a preamp running on it, and then I was run I was using the sec the separate output. So I think I was using one of the effects returns essentially as that going into the my amp head. And then the normal mm. out I was sending to front of house as a DI out. Um because you know you could change the output to make sure it's padded for a DI out and includes a cab sim as well as the preamp on there. So it you know it was it was getting rid of the needs to have a separate preamp or di pedal on my board plus on top of that still being my conventional multi effects running into the the front of an amplifier you know so it yeah. which was complicated to set up but great that it can do both things yeah. basically yeah naomi have you ever used well maybe i don't know if you've ever used the gt series but have you used like hx stomp or anything for your base you, stuff you, you use you like use stomp don't you naomi on your board i do yeah i do i've um I've sadly not had as many gigs as I would like to have had with it by now, but um, they're they're picking up slowly. But um, yeah, it's it, I've gone through exactly the thing you speak of, Matt, where it's you know you have your initial phase with this amazing sort of Swiss Army knife, multi-tool, compact rig basically, um, and you sort of have fun with presets and you go, ooh, that's new, you know, and toggle through sort of 20 different drives thinking nothing in particular in terms of what you'll actually use them for. So it took me a while to kind of get past that phase and into actually building, um, you know, a, a, a sound like running running a sort of a wet dry um, and going as far as having um, a cab sim on the end of it. But now now that I do, I um, I use it quite a bit for writing um i just go straight to straight to interface rather because because i have the entire signal chain set up within the stomp i do i do agree with what you're saying though joe like i don't i don't like sort of having to double tap and i don't like that element of having to navigate a smaller unit the same as i find with certain sort of highly simplified loopers um so yeah, I've I've not yet found sort of what's what's just right for me in terms of um in terms of kind of how many switches I need uh, to feel comfortable kind of navigating between patches and maybe tweaking certain patches on the fly. Mm. That that's that's it. The I mean the the HX Stomp XL seems to be the most sensible one in in the range. I think in so. The, yeah. In the Helix is 
you know, is 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 huge, but almost like unnecessarily large. You know, mm, for mm-hmm. for me, like there there are guitar players out there that need that sort of size. But as yeah. as a bassist, who might want to throw in a couple of other pedals, the XL mm-hmm. seems to be the smartest size because you've just got the you've got the extra ones. The same reason I like using the MS3. It's it's actually built for gigging. You know, the problem yeah. comes with things like the Stomp and with the GT Core is those buttons are awfully close together. And as mm. soon as you're not sitting down in your bedroom playing those, you're standing up playing a gig, especially when double tapping any of those buttons does something else. You know, it, it, that's it, exactly it's it. a huge yeah. problem. I mean, it it does it happens on the MX or on the MS3 as as well. And and I I double hit them all the time. And I know there is actually a way of disabling that i think uh but I, I, <laughs> I still haven't done it but i double hit pedals all the time fortunately on the ms3 all that does is sort of like goes oh you you want to you want to change patches so it just puts you into like a mode of of like switching patches so you can mm, just mm-hmm. re-hit one button and, and not affect your sound whereas with things like uh the hx stomp and also with the core if you double hit a button you've changed you know whatever you've changed the mode the setting the the thing and you know if you're using that live that is going to be a problem i yeah. um i must admit actually i i need to feed that back to the engineers as something you should be able to disable because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i um because i i go between the the manual mode which is like the patch mode and the uh the pedal board mode with an external button um and i'm like oh you should be able to like disable hitting two buttons and it and it do another function so well reminded joe i need to uh, (laughs) to put that to the engineers Uh, but yeah it's um my invoice is in the post yeah i've i've just i've really tried to yeah kind of basically spend time just like really like crafting a patch that doesn't do everything but definitely covers like a nice wide range something you can Mm. just and all the sounds are in there and um, you'll, you'll be pleased to know, Naomi, I spent quite a lot of time on the ring modulator. Very um, nice. As Very nice. Uh, we were talking about uh, in a separate in a separate call uh, a while ago. But yeah, it's like, I'm going to use the ring modulator. And then I was like, I remember how good ring modulators are. You can't have a pedal best. board without a ring modulator. Yeah, there, you know, you, you need to have at least one utterly horrible sound in your chain. I, I And I think that, that works across genres. I think you need to have, <laughs> yeah. like, you need to have a challenging tone if you're going to be offering <laughs> several tones to toggle between in your I, chain. What's, um, what I better. don't know how, I don't know how, I think the Electroharmonics one had this, but the, the boss ring modulator in the core has like an intelligent mode. So it like tunes itself to what note you're playing. So you can get some sort of like vaguely musical stuff out of it, but you can also set the frequency range onto an expression pedal. So you can sort of still sweep, but everything's sort of vaguely in tune, which I kind of, uh, very into that. I, um, my, uh, I use ring mod a lot on my days in polymath. And I had, just whatever the preset was on the boss ms3 like you know i turned it on to try it and i was like oh yeah this sounds great and i've just never touched it and it's on so much stuff that we've done over the years it's just the sound but of course i've never really checked the settings i also have no (laughs) idea what they are and then a a while ago i had to like factory reset the ms3 and the ring mod was completely different and i had to like listen to polymath recordings and have the ms3 and try and mess around with stuff to find this just arbitrary setting to make it sound like <laughs> oh god it was trying to yeah trying to recall settings that you got absolutely excellently on one recording once is um 
is no fun. Exactly, exactly. Um, Naomi, have you downloaded the 3.15 update for your HX Stomp yet? Because Line 6 have added a bunch of new stuff. They have, indeed. And I've seen much, much hype about it online. To my shame, I've not yet. So um, I will have my personal report on Mm. your desk for the next pod. (laughs) so no, I, I have not, is the short answer. Um, but I, I certainly can't wait to. And I hear, I, I think most of the buzz I've heard actually is that there's been quite a lot of synth synth patches added. Um, yeah. Which is most exciting, of course, to me. I'm a, I'm a very synth uh, enthusiastic player. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they've, they've done it. It's, it's kind of, it's been around so long, Helix, now. It's had so many updates. I'm like, how mm. many more things can they think of? I can't believe that this is the one where we get, we got the DL4. We actually got all of those legacy big box. Um, you know, so we got the purple one. What were they called, Matt? The purple, the blue and the orange one? Um, what, the 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 four? Yeah, you mean, the, like the FM4, yeah. Oh, yeah. the DM4. Those ones, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. those ones. So the, 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 those ones. But they they have all turned up on this uh, um, as part of the legacy s- selection, which is interesting because legacy was always for the M series effects, but of course now they're 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 adding them there, which is which is very cool. And of course, because um, Yamaha have acquired Line Six, and obviously that's been years old, but they also acquired Ampeg a couple of years ago. So more Ampeg. Uh, pedals have gone on there the opto comp and the liquefier so which is great it's making helix more and more a viable option for bass players the more things that they shove on for um for bassists but the coolest thing about this up- upgrade was the the v- ventux ventux Ventus. that's the new amp right yeah yeah mm. but you know designed by a friend of the podcast ben adrian um and it's it's really cool because it is actually a Line Six original amp rather than the modelling something. And um, I did wonder that I was trying to decode. Was it a was it a victory model? Was it something? I was I was running through all the possibilities. Ex- exactly, yeah, because you know that's what Line Six do. It's almost the thing that I think of as being as much a problem with the Helix as, as an as a as an advantage is that they have they have like twenty different versions of like. Fender amps on there and Fender amps mm. they all sound pretty similar you know you could have gone for that just one clean tone but there are loads of different versions because of course on the Helix they're modeling that one amplifier it's not this is this type of amp they're like this yeah. is this one that Ben Adrian picked up at a car boot sale you know so <laughs> but uh, but he he said uh, yeah he's got there's a quote from Ben Adrian and he said most coveted booty camps come from modified black panel fenders or modified Marshall circuits um, he wanted to do the same thing but base it on the early 70s orange circuits and mid-wattage Fender Tweed circuits. So the Ventux has a unique topology. Um, in an indirect way, every knob is kind of a gain drive control. The tone controls adjust the character and or the amount of overdrive on those frequencies, which is kind of exactly what we've been talking about, about things like the Redbeard um, Angry Rhubarb. Like It's just such an interesting way to deal with drive in, in thinking about it as an as a part of your EQ, not just a thing that you're putting on top, I, I love it as an idea. I think it's a great great way to address building an amp tone. Mm, absolutely. I still want to hear. Um, I still haven't seen many people use the kind of Helix through the power cab, and because they kind mm. of pushed that whole thing forward. And I think people are still mainly using it 
as far as I can as as I can tell, it's mainly just like effects processes, which is the similar thing I'm using to GT Core, uh, yeah. rather than using a lot of the amp modeling inside. But yeah. I, I mean, Naomi, are you, are you going direct with yours? Are you or are you running into like an amp as well? Because I'm only working at home with it, I'm just running direct at the mm. moment. Yeah, um, I I need to be quiet. So uh, yeah, like in in rehearsals and in, uh, sorry, actually. It, no, that's that's not entirely correct. In rehearsals, I am running a, um, I am running a chain through an amp. Yes, um, but for my own sort of more synthy out there music, I am running it direct. Yeah. So, do you not use any of the uh, any of the amp or cab sims? Then you do. You oh, use- sorry, the amp and cab sims. Yes, I do use them in in my recording chain. Yeah, but I don't use them in. Yeah, that's what in, in, in like in your live chain. You punkier t- you stuff, where I'm. Yeah, that's more just sort of. Uh, the multiband comp and um, onboard sort of drives or fuzzes. Do you use any of the preamps? Because that Helix separates it out like that. You, you've got they've got amps and they also have preamps, and you have exactly the same things in the preamp section. But you can just run them as like a, a pedal on your board. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually don't at the moment. No, I just go straight into um, straight into drives and fuzzes, which is not. Um, Probably not the best practice. Um, I would say I'd, I'd probably like to go more through the preamp um, in the chain, but I'm I'm a person of terrible habits, and I learn the hard way usually. <laughs> <So> <laughs> there, there is, there I is... might set up a new one um, uh, right after this podcast, actually, and uh, kick kick myself for how I've been running it for the last few months. Yeah, there, there but, is something to be said for keeping things simple. I think, especially when it comes to your basic settings. Like, I get very carried away with like, I'm going to use this pre, I'm going to run this preamp on the left and this one on the right, and then mix them in the head. And then when you actually play a gig and you need to make quick changes because of the room or the, you know, the what the room's made of, or yeah, you know, how many people are in the room, when you've got to do changes like that, it becomes Im- impossible. All, all these yeah, things. Are, the- yeah, that that's it, and i i think I think I actually like the idea of having a um, of having a real preamp as well, like mm-hmm. an actual pre pre pedal. Um, I just find that the tangibility maybe a little bit nicer than uh, running it as a block in the stomp. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. Um, now we are we are dear listener, we're actually coming up to the end of this week's uh, episode of Guitar Nerds. We're going to be continuing over on on Patreon, where we'll talk about some other news bits and bobs, and we're going to talk about what we do, how we'd spend the four grand that uh, that I sold my ES one seven five for. So we talk about what we do with that sort of money today. Um, and if you want to join us over on Patreon.com forward slash Guitar Nerds, then you can. Uh, you can become a Patreon supporter for as little as a dollar a month. At the dollar tier, you get this episode ad-free and early. Five dollars gets you access to the Patreon special episodes and our back catalogue. And ten dollars gets you the lot. Plus, I'll sing you my thanks at the end of every episode. You can find us all on uh, your favourite social media platforms. And join the Guitar Nerds group on Facebook to get involved in our weekly episode discussion. Thanks for listening. You've been lovely. We've been the Guitar Nerds. Farewell. Bye. Bye. Yes,
Elvis, Daniel Walker, Ben Harder, John Brown, Holly Simpson, John Conaway, Eric Vaughan, Russell Healing, Paul Drew, Peter Pear, Ty Allen, Yogi the Guitarist, Kyle Harris, Joe Hart, Sean Hughes, Brian Hansen, Shane Malloy, Eric Hammer, Jeffrey Wax, Brian Eisler, Gavin Vanderlinden, Andy Banley, Robert Butterworth, Scott Anthony, Marcus Alkanawaki, Simon Milbourne, Stuart Robson, Christian Manhansen, Keith Adams, Eric File, Jack Tuckmore, Joe Buttick, James Storey, Matthews, Ken Sayers, Kytopia the Man, John Anglin, Ross Edwards, Stephen Fork, Aaron Sherman, Dave Lee, Jake Gray, Scott Kennedy, Christopher Lowson, Derek Rich, Blake Wyland, Rob Norman, Shady Short, Steve Merkel, Andy McKenzie, Brad Page, Robin Smith, Scott O'Brien, Paul Corrigan, and Moon Gravity! Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 